Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams on the podcast today. We're going to talk a little bit of basketball in the second half here. We're going to take a look at the, the conference award winners were announced this week and also the conference tournament is going on. So we're going to dip our toe into the hoops waters. But first, some developments uh, on the SEC football scheduling front. And it really comes as no surprise, but it seems like there's more and more momentum building toward a nine-game conference schedule after Oklahoma and Texas join. That's been expected for a while now. Has not been approved. Has not been approved. But all indications are that's that's where we're headed, John. And, and Nick Saban, well, Nick Saban's not happy about the three rivals that he says are going to be assigned to Alabama in this nine-game model. And they're the three rivals we've been talking about for months now. Alabama, if this nine-game model is, is approved, is likely to get Auburn, LSU, Tennessee. Makes sense, right? Those are all three rivals. But Nick Saban, in an interview with Sports Illustrated last week, did a fair amount of whining about those, those three rival assignments said, how, how would Alabama get those three rivals? Well, I don't know, Nick, maybe because those are your three rivals. Uh, he, said, he, he said to Sports Illustrated, quote, if you play more conference games, I think you have to get the three fixed opponents right. Well, I'm sorry, but I think these are the three right opponents for Alabama. What's your response to this, John? <laughs> I'm amused by it. I, I love the way Nick Saban, when there's something new comes about, uh, he's quick to attack it on oftentimes, whatever it is. And then he just goes about the business of succeeding in that, in the new world that it, with which he's been presented. Uh, okay. So he's got, he got, he's got Tennessee, Auburn and LSU. Uh, how good has Auburn been uh, since it played for national championship in 2013? Uh, Tennessee, is kind of a newbie in terms of the top 10, but it's been down for many years. Nick Saban's only lost one time to Tennessee. Uh, LSU has been a big rival for Alabama in the SEC West, but Alabama's won more often than not. So if he's complaining about that, how about this? How would he like to have as his three rivals, LSU, Oklahoma, and Georgia? You well, think about- that would make him happier? How about Florida's likely rival assignment? Now, nothing's been released by the conference, but I wrote about this a few weeks ago, John, and and Sports Illustrated has also produced a list in in the aftermath of my column. I'm sure they just copied whatever I wrote, right? Um, But but the two, two lists matched up, and for Florida, it seems as if their rivals would be Georgia, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. Where's Billy Napier's belly aching? Because if Nick Saban thinks it's tough to have the the roster of LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee, would you really rather your rivals be Georgia, Oklahoma, and South Carolina? I think Florida is going to have the the toughest collection of rivals of any team in the conference. I mean, Georgia's been the best team in college football the past two years. Oklahoma, I know they had a bad season last year. But as Nick Saban said to Sports Illustrated, you got to look at things through a 25-year lens. 
<laughs> well, if you're looking through a 25-year lens, I don't think you want Oklahoma on your annual dance card. And, and South Carolina has been every bit as good as Tennessee has been the past 10 or 15 years. So I, I think Florida would have it tougher than, than Alabama, and, and you might be able to say another team or two has it pretty comparable. The point being, if you're going to play nine conference games, as the SEC is talking about doing, and you're going to make some attempt to preserve the top rivalries, uh, sorry, but you're going to have to play a pretty tough schedule in, in most years. That's that's the way it's going to work. But guess what? The playoffs expanding to 12 teams, strength of schedule is going to have a lot to do with how many teams a conference applies to, uh, qualifies for the playoffs. So let's let's quit with the belly aching over who your three rivals are and think about how this is going to uh, position the conference to be pumping playoff teams into that 12-team field every year. Well, I think it's very important, and we see this with the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee in basketball, that it really digs in on that on the schedule. It rewards tough scheduling. So you point out Florida. Florida has a built-in disadvantage because its in-state rival is Florida State outside the conference. This year, Florida is playing Utah, a pretty much – surefire top 15 team playing it on the road and it's got to play Florida State and going into the SEC. So if Florida State comes back to where it once was, and that's not such a far-fetched possibility, I think Mike Norvell has got that program going now. They've hired the wrong person in the past, but I think they're in pretty good shape now. Playing Florida State, Oklahoma, and Georgia. I, I mean, you brought you pointed out Oklahoma is one of those programs that every decade it's going to make a run in a national championship. I mean, it, it's it, its success is long standing, and if it if things go bad, it's quick to make a correction. And uh, thank the world to Brent Venables, but. If he doesn't get it done, he will be replaced very quickly. Some of the rivalry assignments in, in this likely nine-game SEC schedule, which still has to be approved, uh, are starting to trickle out, and not just in the form of my commentary or Sports Illustrated's reporting, but the coaches are starting to reveal them themselves. I mentioned Nick Saban has said Alabama is positioned to get Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. Brian Kelly in the aftermath of Nick Saban's comments that LSU is is positioned to be assigned Alabama, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Now Brian Kelly said he welcomes playing tough competition. He was he was not belly aching about his his rival assignments probably because he knows that it won't do any good. But I I think the point of it is here John there's not going to be many teams that are going to skate past in conference scheduling. I mean, if you look at it, honestly, who would you rather play? Alabama's three rivals, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee, or LSU's Alabama, Texas A&M, or Ole Miss? Year over year, I think it's kind of a toss-up, isn't it? I mean, there's 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 no cakewalks here in a 16-team conference where you're going to play nine conference games. I think that's – Nick Saban can say what he wants, but – that's the larger point here is, is you're not going to skate past. And Alabama, I mean, it's it hasn't been skating past throughout this dynastic run. I mean, it's been competing in the toughest division in college football. It's 
it's prepared for the challenge that's going to be awaiting it, I, th- I think. Here's the thing. It's almost when you talk about this, the three permanent opponents, that's all people are focusing on right now because that is newsworthy. That's different. But when you look at the big picture, or as Nick Saban might say, the 25-year lens, it's not as though you're going eight years without playing these other teams. You got six teams rotating in and out. There won't be any easy schedules in this conference, in this in this 16-team non-divisional league as we expect to see. There just won't be any easy schedules. There will be easier schedules, but nobody's getting a free pass here. Yeah, and 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 that's important to unpack because as you say, the, the SEC, regardless of what schedule format it approves, has said loudly and clearly it's it's moving away from divisions. And in the models it is considering, at a minimum, you would play every team in the conference once every two years. If someone is assigned to you as a rival, you'll play those teams every year. But all the other teams, you're going to play them once every two years. It's, there's going to be none of this this deal like we have now in divisions where you could go like a decade between seeing the teams, you're going to see teams again at a minimum once every two years. And I spoke with with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey recently, and although we did not specifically address Nick Saban's comments, I asked him more in in the bigger picture. People who who have a gripe over the three rivals assigned to them in this proposed nine game model, what would you say? In, in, in response to that, I, I asked this to, to Greg Sankey, the SEC's commissioner, and he said, quote, we're not talking about three games on a schedule. We will not play a three-game conference schedule. I can assure you of that. Greg Sankey continued to say, the focus is simply on the three teams, and that overweights three games out of the sum of the conference schedule. And I think that's kind of what you were saying. All the focus is going to go on the three rivals that these teams are assigned. But when you look at the totality of a nine-game conference schedule, one team's nine-game conference schedule versus another, I think they're going to be pretty balanced. And I actually think they're going to be much more balanced in terms of, of competitive um, you know, competitive schedule A versus competitive schedule B. I think it's going to be much more balanced than it is in the current division structure where you could have years-long stretch where one division is weaker than the other, as we've seen be the case. Well, Blake, I I think SEC East teams are about to get a a cold bucket of ice water thrown in their faces. I mean, I know it's not easy competing against Georgia and trying to catch up to Georgia, which seems futile at this point. But there is an opportunity for upward mobility, and we've seen that with Tennessee under Josh Heupel. In two years, he's taken at Tennessee from near the bottom to right below Georgia. And, and I think it's Tennessee's success will have staying power. But it's so much easier to do that in the SEC East than it is in the West. Uh, I mean, you've got Alabama every year, and LSU kind of comes and goes. I mean, yeah, one of college football's greatest teams under Ed Orgeron, of all people. So there, that there's tremendous potential there, and there's always the possibility that Texas A&M, after decades, will play up to its potential. 
So the SEC West, it's just really harder to progress up that ladder than it is in the SEC East. And now everybody's thrown in there together. And, and another part of this that could be really interesting is when you start laying out these schedules, Blake, is the order of games. When you got this nine-game nine schedule, and to me, I would really like to see a 12-game schedule with two buys instead of just one. I, I think it would serve teams better if you had that extra break. I know it makes the season a little longer, but uh, I, I play the it, national championship on Easter Sunday. No, I think you should have it a, the the Saturday before Super Bowl Sunday in February. I think would be great. Um, yeah, so we are going to an expanded playoff too. So it would be it would be longer, but uh, I just think the order of games we see we've seen it with various teams, and it's kind of happenstance. Um, you know, I, I can remember Tennessee one year playing back-to-back number one ranked teams when LSU and Alabama were, were fighting for the top spot and Tennessee was down and it was just a brutal pairing, but you can get that. And they're going to be, I think that is going to annoy and uh, trouble coaches as much as anything is when they get their schedule and they see that lineup. And there's just no, like I said, there won't be any easy schedules, but some will be easier than others. In the aftermath of of Nick Saban's comments to Sports Illustrated, John, I I think there was a question of why would he say what what he did? I mean, I, I think when you're a coach as great as Saban has been, the best to ever do it. And, you know, even, even when he's not winning national championships, his teams are knocking right on the door. When, when, when someone is that great at what they, they do, there's a tendency to deify this person and, and make it seem like they wield a magic wand and can speak anything they want into existence. And so I think some people thought when Nick Saban said this, that he was trying to change Alabama's roll call, to, 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 to apply some pressure to get a different set of rivals assigned to Alabama. I don't think that's the case. And I think if that was Nick Saban's desire, he's going to come away disappointed. I mean, there's already the belief in 13 of 14 fan bases that the SEC office uh, is run out of Tuscaloosa and kowtows to the Crimson Tide anyway. The, the SEC now, if there was any desire or any thought of changing Alabama's rivals, now that they're out there publicly and Saban's complaining about them, I don't see any way the SEC could change its its rival assignment. Now, and I don't think the, the SEC would want to, and I'm not convinced that was Saban's goal in saying any of this. I think what it does, John, is maybe he's trying to subtly put out there for his fans that, hey, Alabama is going to be facing a more demanding schedule than usual in the future in a in a 16-team SEC with a nine-game conference schedule with these set of rivals assigned. Yes, Alabama should still make a 12-team playoff probably every year. But if the expectations to go 13-0 and every year, you might be a little bit disappointed. So I, what I think Saban's actually doing here is kind of sending the message that Life's going to get a little harder for everybody in the SEC, and that includes 
Alabama. I don't think he's trying to change uh, the three rival assignments, or if he is trying to do that, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's trying to put the message out there that things are about to get tougher for everybody in this conference, including his own program. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think what Nick Saban's doing, he's he's really playing chess here. He's thinking several moves down the down the board, and and he's looking ahead. I think not not to just indicate that Alabama's going to have it tougher in preparing his fan base, but he's also sending a message to he's sending a message to voters. He's saying, okay, look what we have to endure. We're going to have to play these three teams. Every year, every year. So when you're sitting there and you're you're evaluating a team and you're evaluating with the 12-team playoff possibility, look at it through um, look at it through that schedule. That he's making the point. Don't just look at the record. Yeah, we went ten and two, but look what we went ten and two against. And I think that's the point. He's planting the seed that nobody has it tougher than us. And he says, so look at that 25-year 25 25 lens. When you do that, you see where Auburn's won a national championship. LSU's won a couple of championships. And now here we have Tennessee. Uh, well, 25 years, that takes you back to 1998 when Tennessee won a national championship. So he's saying – we're playing three national championship opponents is our permanent rivals. Yeah, I think you make a, a great point, John. And it, it probably does expen- extend beyond trying to subtly put this message out there to fans. It, I think you're right on. The, the larger point is um, planting that seed in people's minds that it's, that it's Alabama against the world. Um, that they're playing a brutus, <laughs> brutal schedule. Uh, you know, it's not going to matter if they win the conference. If they win the conference, they get a bye. Um, you know, they'd get one of the auto bids, they'd get a first round buy in a 12 team playoff. Um, and, and so be it. But what if you don't win the conference, then seating matters, right? Um, you want to be hosting a first round game. You want to be seated fifth or sixth. So you're getting one of the weakest teams in the playoff. Nick Saban's already planning that thought on the front end that nobody's going to be playing a tougher schedule than Alabama. So remember that comes seeding time. We heard him do similar politicking this this past year when his team was ten and two. Uh, somehow forced itself into the playoff conversation. I never really bought the argument. I don't think the selection committee did either. But we saw, you know, Nick Saban do the press junket, the media junket, on that final weekend before Selection Sunday, making the case for Alabama. And yes, he'll he'll be reminding people at every turn that if you look at a twenty five year lens. Uh, Tennessee has 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 a national championship on its on its resume, and I, and I think if you're Kirby Smart, John, the answer is to remind folks at every turn that if you look at through a 35 year lens, Georgia Tech has a national championship on its resume. So two can play this game. Kirby needs to start talking about looking looking at Georgia Tech, the Yellow Jackets, through a 35 year lens, and don't forget that 1990 uh, undefeated season that uh, that Georgia Tech improbably put together. Yeah, and and Georgia may come out of this in in pretty good shape, relatively speaking, with its alleged permanent opponents. With uh, Auburn and Florida and Kentucky look pretty good right now. I mean, he could have instead of pairing Oklahoma and Florida, why not a uh, pair Oklahoma and Georgia? 
teams have met in a college football play, playoff recently. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Kirby's sitting there pretty good. So I don't think Kirby will say anything much about his permanent opponents. Maybe just something about, yeah, this new – a 16-team league is going to be harder on everybody, but it gives an opportunity as – it's kind of, as Brian Kelly suggested, we want to play the best teams and we feel like we'll have an opportunity to do that. Changing gears, John, the SEC thinks it has some of the best teams in college basketball. And although this is a football podcast, this is March. And in March, college basketball takes center stage for a few weeks. So we're going to dive into it here. The SEC, uh, as its conference tournament gets underway this week in Nashville is positioned to qualify as many as eight teams for the NCAA tournament. If it gets eight teams in the tournament, that would tie a conference record for the most selections it's ever had. My, my take on the, on the conference this year in basketball, John, I think the quality of depth is maybe as good as it's ever been in the sec. I, I thought there was a lot of quality depth last year. They got six teams in the tournament. I think There was an argument for seven, and I think Texas A&M proved that by going to the NIT finals last year. They they had seven, you know, really solid teams, NCAA tournament caliber teams last year, and I think they have about seven or eight this year. The the depth is there. I don't know, however, that there's a final four team in the bunch. I think maybe six weeks ago, you could have made the case for Alabama— course there's a lot of turmoil surrounding the Alabama basketball program after the shooting death of a young woman in Tuscaloosa a former member of the Alabama team who was on the team at the time Darius Miles faces a capital murder charge police say Brandon Miller Alabama's superstar brought a gun to the scene it was Miles's gun that was used allegedly in the crime Brandon Miller's not charged with anything he's not been suspended he's still playing very good basketball but Alabama has not looked like the same team, I don't think, in, in recent weeks. And, and that was probably the SEC's best chance, I feel like, to produce a Final Four team. What do you think? How far can an SEC team go in March Madness? Well, I agree with you on the depth of the league. A lot of teams capable of beating any other team in the league. Not a super team at all. Uh, even when Alabama was really really rolling and had some nice victories, depended on so much on a three point on the three point shot, and I just that that made me wary of of Alabama. I don't see as it a, a, I didn't see it as a Final Four team despite its ranking. I still don't. Um, when I look at the SEC, I think if it gets somebody in the Elite Eight, I think that's its ceiling, and. and who who knows? I mean, you never know with the NCAA tournament. But I don't I don't see a team that has really what it takes to make a Final Four run. Tennessee plays extraordinary defense, but is now without its point guard. Tennessee can shut anybody down, and I think a lot of these how these team a lot of this will have to do the the SEC success will depend a lot on matchups and on officiating. If they if that officials let turn it into a rough and tumble game, I think some of these Tennessee teams can beat better teams, more polished teams, more skilled teams, but they'll just strangle the life out of them. 
they'll bump, bump them and beat them to death. So I can see Kentucky winning a game like that. I can see Tennessee winning a game like that. I can see Texas A&M winning a game like that. But overall, I, when I and admittedly, I haven't watched a lot of college basketball nationally. I haven't. I saw a few minutes of Houston. I've seen a few minutes of UCLA. Uh, I really like those teams in the NCAA based tournament. on the five minutes you've seen of them. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a quick study, Blake. You know that. <laughs> yeah, you're in. You're in. You're not. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll pick UCLA right now. John, I wrote about this this week. Curious your take in terms of investment. The SEC is is really second to no conference in men's basketball investment. John Calipari is the highest paid coach in the sport. Rick Barnes and Bruce Pearl have top five national salaries. Uh, Eric Musselman and Buzz Williams opened the season in the top 12 in salaries. And Nate Oates has gotten a raise this winter. He, he joins the other five I've mentioned in the $4 million salary club. So, I mean, the, the SEC is investing in men's hoops, both in its facilities and its coaches. And we've seen in the last five, six years, really since 2016, the year the SEC produced just three tournament qualifiers. It didn't have a single team go past the Sweet 16. The SEC has reevaluated its approach to college basketball, men's basketball, gotten more intentional about non-conference scheduling. I think there's been a more investment by more schools to quality coaches and to retaining quality coaches. And we've seen it pay off in terms of the number of bids. Uh, the SEC is holding its own with some of the best basketball conferences in the country in terms of number of bids. In terms of national titles, though, conference is in a drought. It's been since 2012 that an SEC team won the national championship. That was Kentucky. Of course, Billy Donovan several years before that, went back-to-back at Florida. Since Nolan Richardson in the 1990s at Arkansas, John, Arkansas won won national championship in 94. They were the runner-up in 95. Since 1995, there's only been two SEC teams to play for the national championship in men's basketball, Florida and Kentucky. That's it. Now, they've had several other teams make the Final Four. Florida and Kentucky are the only two that have played on the final day of the season, despite the the increased investment in the sport we've seen the last few years. Should that be cause for concern within within the conference? Um, should they be getting championships for their investment? Or are you more of the stance of, hey, this is a football conference. If you can pay a coach $4 million a year and know he's going to get you into March every year, get you into the NCAA tournament, and he may or may not bow out, you know, somewhere around second round, Sweet 16. Is that good enough? Should that be good enough in, in the SEC? Or does the SEC need to start producing titles for its investment? Well, titles are what it's all about in any sport. I mean, when you hire a coach, if you have the resources, if you have the recruiting base, a regional recruiting base, if you invest in the sport in terms of facilities, if you have an aggressive NIL package, then you should expect to contend for national championships. That doesn't mean you make the final four every year, but it means you make it sometimes and you might even win a championship sometimes. Look at what the SEC has done in baseball. I mean, it is so dominant in that sport. 
I mean, seventh or eighth best team in the SEC might win the national championship. Ole Miss came out of nowhere to win it last year. Uh, Tennessee has a powerhouse baseball program. LSU does too. Florida's really good. Uh, let, let me interject though, John, because I, I think with baseball and softball, there are some inherent recruiting advantages if you're in the SEC based on beyond just facilities. I mean, if you're if if you're a stud baseball player, do you really want to sign with uh, oh, let's say Maryland or uh, Minnesota? Uh, and, and play in, a, in a, a sport in a season that starts in February. I mean, I do think there are some advantages the SEC sure. enjoys in baseball. And with football, they enjoy that regional recruiting base you were talking about. So much talent comes out of the southeast portion of the country in, in football. So I do think there are some inherent advantages in other sports that maybe basketball does not experience in the SEC. That's fair. I think basketball, though, has the capability to win a championship. I mean – I thought it was really underplayed the success Bear, Billy Donovan had. When he won back-to-back national championships, that just doesn't happen often. If he would have been if he would have done that at Kansas or North Carolina or Duke or even UCLA, he would be characterized as one of the greatest coaches of all time. It, it was just kind of a Almost like it was an aberration. Yeah, I had this really good team for a couple of years, and then it went away. But that was, I thought, a phenomenal feat, what Billy Donovan did there. And you look at those teams, and they were really good teams. Future NBA players on them, yes, but there wasn't a LeBron James uh, or Stephen Curry on those teams. Uh, Just great teams. And so I I think the SEC could produce one of those teams. This doesn't really apply to Alabama where Nate Oates is instilled. A, he's all about analytics and all about the validity of a three-point shot or getting to the basket. A mid-range game is obsolete and a waste of your time. But when I look at this league overall, when I watch Tennessee and Kentucky and, and Texas A&M, these teams play stifling defense. It's almost like the old days of SEC football when the SEC was known for defense and great defensive line play. They can just suffocate opponents. But I think to win championships, you have to have a better balance. Maybe uh, I'll throw an outlier in here. Uh, Missouri with Dennis Gates in his first season is very offensive-minded. Probably doesn't have enough defense to uh, negotiate through the NCAA tournament to a a high level. But uh, I think you need a better balance of that. And I think that's what it will take for one of these SEC teams to emerge as a champion. It will not only have to match, not only have that really good defense, but it'll have to be a little better offensive minded. And in some cases, try and balance all the athleticism with some really skilled basketball players. I guess I, I don't go quite as far as you do, John, in terms of the expecting national championships with a little more frequency in the SEC. Maybe a little more frequency. I don't. I don't think though that it's that big of a deal that the SEC has not won a hoops title since 2012. I think. I think it's a big deal if you're a Kentucky fan. Uh, you don't like that. Uh, you know, your last Final Four under John Calipari was 2015. Uh, you're, you're still stinging from the first round upset last year as a number two seed. You don't like that. It's been now more than a decade since the last national championship. I just question how many schools in this conference 
their administration, their athletics directors, their fan bases really care all that much if basketball season ends on the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. If you got a coach who you know is going to get you there every year, and you hope some year you rise up, maybe go on a run to a Final Four, but for the most part, I think most SEC fan bases are fine knowing they're going to play in March Madness every year. If you can ensure them at least that, they'll take it and say, when's the spring game? When, when's fall camp start? And I think it's, it goes beyond the fan bases. I think a lot of administrators, they wouldn't say that publicly, but I think privately, they want a coach that can get them into, into the tournament every year, and then whatever happens is fine, and it's on to the spring game. Now, not, not true at Kentucky and maybe a couple other places, but by and large, I think that's probably the case in this conference. Well, uh, if you if that's if that's the way it goes, uh, why spend so much money on basketball coaches? You're paying championship money to these coaches, and to me, that shows a very real commitment. And I think I think SEC schools are so competitive. I know it starts with football, but I mentioned baseball. The SEC does really well in a lot of sports. And I think they, I think there's a movement now to be good in everything. And I think that's possible. And I think if you're paying that kind of money, you should get those kind of results. I also think that Kentucky's not the only one. Tennessee has a tremendous fan base in basketball. Arkansas does too. Yeah, I, I agree. Th- those programs can win national They're championships. Ex- Florida but, can win a national championship. We saw Billy Donovan do it, I, and Billy Donovan may was probably more the exception than the rule there. But there are four or five programs, I would agree, in, in, in the SEC can have national championship aspirations in, in college basketball and, and not be unreasonable. I, I think other places you have to have a really special season to maybe be in that conversation. But we've seen, you know, we've seen Auburn get to a Final Four. We've seen... Nate Oates build a very talented roster at Alabama. So even at places where I feel like that's swimming upstream a little bit in recent years, we've seen it done. I guess the investment, John, when we talk about salaries, I think the investment pays off. And if you, if you hire a good coach and you, and you invest in them, support him, I think you're going to make the NCAA tournament most years. I think that's really what you're buying with this investment. I don't know that you're buying a national championship i mean shy of hiring bill self i don't really know who you who you'd go get right now unless you can convince jay wright to get back in the sport but you look at most of these top earners the guys i, I mentioned they're all going to take you to to the ncaa tournament almost every year you're not going to have many years where you miss the big dance under these guys i mentioned but may, maybe the expectation should be higher I, I think if you talk to greg sankey and i did about this recently he wants to win a national title in men's hoops he's not in the corner of saying yeah we're fine being being good and everything else, and we just don't win the the title in hoops. He, this is someone who got his master's from Syracuse and, and was an assistant high school basketball coach at one stage in his life. He wants to win titles in every sport, including basketball. I, I question whether that commitment carries through, um, you know, to the administration at some schools. But Blake, I think that's how a commissioner should think. And remember, he he worked under former commissioner, uh, the late Mike Slive. And and Mike Slive kind of fueled this uh, renewed commitment in basketball. Uh, he was on the NCAA tournament selection committee when the SEC got maybe two or three teams in the tournament. And he came away from that saying, 
we have to do better. How do we get better? One way to get better is we have to schedule better. And the, and the SEC's done that. Uh, you look at some of the teams, Tennessee plays, Kentucky plays, everybody, there's the, the challenge, the Big 12 SEC challenge. The teams have upgraded their schedule. So I think that's been a positive fact factor in this. Uh, I just think, I think t- the SEC is going on the right path, but I still think it can go higher, and I believe it will go higher. I really thought Bruce Pearl's Auburn team a few years ago could have won the national championship. It would have won the national championship if not for a key injury. I really thought it was the best team that year. You know, everybody said, well, what's just coming close? No, but when you come that close, it tells you this is not an insurmountable goal. You can do this. And so I think we'll see. I think we'll see in the next five years, I think somebody from the league will win a national championship. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Before we go, John, uh, one last basketball thought. The uh, the SEC awards were out this, this week. Uh, wanted to see if you you had any uh, any issues with the honor roll here. The there were there were co coaches of the year. Buzz Williams at Texas A and M shared the honor with Jerry Stackhouse of Vanderbilt. Uh, as as we enter the excuse me as we enter the conference tournament this week, Vanderbilt is a bubble team. Texas A and M is going to be safely in the field for the first time since 2018. They set a program record for conference victories player of the year, Brandon Miller at Alabama. You know, I I could understand why some people would be uncomfortable with that for off the field or excuse me, off the court reasons. I think if we're confining this conversation to on the court, which I'm not saying we should, but if you did, he's a, he's obviously the the fair choice there at player of the year. But what, what did you think about the coach of the year selections of, of Buzz Williams and Jerry Stackhouse? Uh, Buzz Williams, I'm fine with that, but Jerry Stackhouse? I can't think of another SEC coach who's gotten more credit for doing less than Jerry Stackhouse is at Vanderbilt. I, I, I mean, you know, coaches talk about other coaches, and I'm always skeptical about this, talk about what a great coach he is. Well, in your mind, if another coach is saying a guy's a great coach, that to uh-huh. you means that guy is a terrible coach, right? That means we want him to stick around. I mean, you have to look at the big picture. I don't care if he his team runs better offensive sets than the average average SEC program. Uh, you just got to look at the bottom line and look at the record. I can't imagine that Vanderbilt being the NCAA tournament. It they're, lost they're one on of the its, bubble. They're on the bubble. Okay, well, it'll stay there or fall off. That's my <laughs> prediction. Uh, but, yeah, I have no problem with Buzz Williams, but I think more deserving coaches would have been uh, would have been Nate Oates at Alabama. I don't uh, – I'm not like you, and I, I don't try and judge the morality of coaches. I judge them by what they do in the games, on the field, on the court, and so I don't have – those higher moral standards that you do. So I, I the the public relations disaster that's unfolded at Alabama. <laughs> well, I wouldn't factor that into my coach of the year selection. So I think I would put so I would have Nate Oates, 
I could see Buzz Williams, Nate Oates, or Dennis Gates at Missouri. If I'm voting for coach of the year, it's Dennis Gates. I, I agree. I think uh, regardless of where you stand on on Nate Oates, I think there's another good choice out there um, that, you know, aside from this debate of, of whether leadership and, and character and all that stuff should factor into to a postseason award, I, I just think Dennis Gates is, is a very fine choice aside from all that. Yeah, I'm not saying you got to base your awards on the preseason predictions, but I do think that factors into it. The preseason expectations should factor in. And, and Dennis Gates, in his first season, his first season, that matters too, I think. You know, Buzz Williams has been there for a while at Texas A&M. He should be having that thing rolling. Jerry Stackhouse has been there for a while at Vanderbilt. This is Dennis Gates' first season in a, in a program that was picked to finish 11th in a 14-team conference. And... You know, the last time we saw them under Conzo Martin was spinning its tires. Dennis Gates comes in in year one, brings in some transfer talent, and all of a sudden, you know, Missouri's the four seed in the conference tournament and and safely in the NCAAs with no question. I, I think Dennis Gates was was the right choice, should have been the right choice for coach of the year. I don't I don't really have any problem with Buzz Williams. Uh, I guess I'm a little more sympathetic to Jerry Stackhouse than you are, although that's not who I would have voted for. Uh, I guess if we're going top five in balloting, he, he probably would have been the top five on my ballot. But I, I think Dennis Gates is 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 the right choice, and and he was the USA Today Network. John, uh, our our company made him the SEC Coach of the Year. I think I think the USA Today Network got it right, and uh, I think he was snubbed at the conference level. Well, that's two things our network has gotten right: the, the Coach of the Year and our podcast. SEC Unfiltered, which has become wildly popular. Missouri literally came out of nowhere. Well, I, I just can't remember the last time I thought, ooh, Missouri basketball. I want to watch that team play Saturday. <laughs> I, I, it, it just, and part of it is The, the two games where Michael Porter Jr. was healthy, that, that wasn't appointment viewing for you. <laughs> the, the, you're, right, you're exactly right. The Porter brothers. What what a uh <laughs> if you blinked you missed him. At least yeah. Michael anyway. Oh yeah, remember the famous Porter brothers at Missouri that will turn that program right side up? And I don't <laughs> know what came of them, and I wish them the best in their future endeavors, but it didn't happen with Missouri basketball. And here, I mean, I'm not I it have no recognition of Missouri basketball. And here comes this guy, Dennis Gates. No very little about him. And the next thing I know, I watch a little of him and I said, I would rather watch this team play than any other team in the SEC. So part of it has to do with style of play. It's a very offensive-minded team, and it plays loose, and it's not afraid to jack up a jump shot, and I've seen it make some jump shots under against very, very tight defenses. So when you got all these other teams just squeezing the life out of basketball game with – with defense, here comes Dennis Gates. Say, okay, guys, you're open. Put it up. Or you're guarded a little bit, but put it up anyway. So if you could combine Missouri's offensive philosophy with the defensive philosophy of teams like Kentucky, Tennessee, and Texas A&M, there's your national champion. John, I know you're a two-time published author. If you go for a third book, may I suggest the title – be to hell with morality, jack up jump shots. 
You, know, you like you know you think of that that pretty well sum sum up your stance on coaches. Who cares about morals? And yeah, fire fire from deep. We'll leave it there, John. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered. <laughs>